How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 207. Well done. Whew. Very nice. Our first podcast of 2023. And it's come late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're a couple of days late, but that, that's okay. Yeah, look, we're here up now. front, apologies, that's on me. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, I went away for a week. Um, How was your trip, Zeke? It was good. It was good, as you can Down see. Down some beards. Yeah, I've, I've been everywhere, man, like the song goes. Oh, um, that's a good song. No, it was great. Honestly, perfect reset in the new year. Came back to big news, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in this oh, later parts of the show. Indeed. Um, but, yeah, look, hard not to hard not to say it was a great trip. Great reset. Bit of inspiration maybe drawn on mm. the road. Maybe worth talking about at a later date. But. Excellent. How are you doing, Jake? I like the sound of that. No, I'm, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Spent the spent New Year's with Kirsty. So look at both both of us on our own respective trips yes. with the ladies. Yes. And yes. I I went to bed. Well, we went to bed, and I woke up. I was like, oh, it must be like three in the morning. Crap, we missed it. And I checked the phone. It's eleven fifty eight. I'm like, ah, the world the world has told us to be awake <laughs> at New Year's. <laughs> yes. So yeah, it was it was um. No, it was, it was fun. It was relaxing, but it's also been very busy, like you alluded to. We'll get into that later in the show. Um, is your Christmas tree still up, Zeke? No, I just, in the two seconds between oh, really? like coming here and coming home, I noticed it's already down. Oh, so. very good. Ours is still up. I'm starting to think it's it's turning into that thing where you can't take the Christmas tree down until the double demerit points go away, <laughs> which, is, which is getting increasingly longer and longer. Mm. Um, do you have any New Year's resolutions, Zeke? Um, yeah, I think I've actually completely boycotted fast food. Oh, so wow. I've made a list of the ones that get the passing mark. You'll be happy to know Nando's makes the pass. Oh, that's good. That's um, good. You can't, you can't our, avoid Nando's. As our sort of go-to restaurant together, but um, no. But is but, there anything on the menu at Nando's that is off the... Yeah, I'd probably table. avoid the chips. Sure. Yeah. Okay. The chicken's fine. Yeah. It's like, but just yeah, bit of bit of weight. Obviously, at this point, you know, we're both twenty five, so uh, slowing slowing down on the old metabolism. Mm. So um, yeah, that's exactly it. Good healthy habits to get into, I think, would be. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you know, maybe move out by the end of the year. Two big ah, ones. that's a good one as well. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. What about you? Well, hopefully, you'll be making the income to mm-hmm. <laughs> to achieve not that. get fired. That would be nice. That's too. true. Also, not get fired. That's, I like that. Um, for me, it was more film centric. I'm that, okay. This is kind of a loose one because it's always like to seek. We always have our 365 challenge. Never goes, never goes to plan. Mm. But my letterbox, it read 98. End of the year. I was Ooh, very upset about that. Check mine. Oh, it's probably going to say zero now. Because <laughs> ah. I know you got to go on the stats. Can you do that without a pro account? I'm sure there's a way to do it. I'm sure I think I was in anything. the. Yeah, you're correct. You were definitely past 100. Were you past 100? I was well past. Yeah, yeah, I was in the yeah, 120s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was a little annoyed at myself that I didn't. And in fact, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, well, I swear to God, we're going to get to the film <laughs> at some point in the show. <laughs> but that was 97, and then its little companion piece 30-minute doco on Netflix was 98. But unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't fit anything else in before the new year. But that's okay. My resolution, again, it's very loose. But I was thinking, I have 257 films in my Letterboxd watch list. Ooh. And not necessarily to watch all of them. I don't think it's possible because not all of them are very easy to find. But also, some of them literally won't be out for like another two to three years. Because mm. you can put films in your watch list that won't come out for years in advance. So not to watch all of them, but to leave a sizable dent. Maybe maybe 100 to 200 of those 257. Just smash them out. Okay. So that, that's sort of uh, something I'm going to be considering going into this new year. Not a bad is, idea. Yeah, which is very exciting for me. And Letterboxd does keep track of how many films you add to your watch list in per year, in addition to how many of those you watched within that year. So it, there is a stat that I can keep track of, which is very good. But enough of that, Zeke. We're, we're in, it's the new year. It is It's indeed. time. It's time to move forward. Yeah. It's it time, no time to reflect, Zeke. No time. You've got to stop. No time. Gotta You've got to stop reflecting. By talking about trivia, I'm of course Gamma del Toro's Pinocchio. Zeke, do you have any trivia for me? Uh, yeah, it's the longest stop motion animated film, mm. and I think that's an important point to bring up, though yes. short and sweet. That uh, that fact. 
I it's think pretty much two hours. It's a testament because this is a stop motion animation picture, yep. and, and the extensive effort it takes to make one of these kind of pictures is just every uh, frame. Yeah, and you know you look at we obviously now mature content stop motion animation has been kind of Wes Anderson's mm. um, block is the go to yeah is the go to and. Um, so seeing Del Toro kind of step in here and, and deliver a, a, a long product, which for also a children's uh, fairy tale, sure, which is yeah. the most connotative way of, of reading this form of, of literature, um, to then deliver a long piece from that is, is and not feel that that bloatiness mm. was was very impressive. Yeah, no, the pacing the pacing's fantastic all throughout. And even compared to this is just off the top of my head, we did the nineteen forty Pinocchio mm-hmm. God a couple of years ago now. And for the for how amazing its animation was for the time, it was what, like a seventy five minute film. Yeah. It was very short. Uh, and which is very understandable. So it's impressive when you have a film of this magnitude with this much effort and emotion and Absolutely. care going into a stop motion to also be two hours. So I really respect that. Well, my trivia actually relates to the timeline of the film because uh, Del Toro can go back to 2003 is when he was first mm-hmm. conceiving of his Pinocchio adaptation. This very much is his adaptation. It's very much uniquely his film, despite it being one of many, many, many Pinocchio films. Uh, now, the film was officially announced in 2008. That's when uh, Grizz Grimley and Mark Gustafson, Gustafson, who was the co-director, I guess the animation side of the directing, uh, joining as directors... Uh, actually, sorry, excuse me, this is in 2011 when this happens, before replacing before Del Tomo replaces Grimley himself in 2012, the film that went into development hell. Mm. The film was announced to be cancelled in 2017, before Netflix acquired the rights in 2018, and... Voila, we finally made it here when the film is released. So it's, this film has had quite a journey. Quite a journey Quite indeed. the journey indeed. Yeah. yeah. Now, the poster behind you, Zeke. Mm-hmm. 1,100 films you must watch. At least Certainly once in your lifetime. Me. Yeah. Would, would I put... Would you put this Pinocchio in your list? Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah, would. I would too. Absolutely. Would. <laughs> so we can dive into why we would. It's kind of the opposite of last week's discussion where we both said we probably wouldn't put Glass Onion on our list, but mm-hmm. my reason was purely because you just put the original in there instead. Yeah. While with this one, this is actually an example of why you would include multiple adaptations of the same IP on that list. Because I would totally put the 40s Pinocchio on there in addition to this version. Yeah. And maybe even some others. So, interesting little flip we've done very exciting. Since, since last week, which is very exciting indeed. So, Jake, have you caught anything else in the last week, or is that all? Oh, I, I did catch one film. Okay. I did catch it was after January first, so it's now included in the new year list. And I've been talking about this film for months. I've just been like it's just been playing. And I finally got a chance to mm-hmm. sit down and watch it. The Banshees of Vinnie Sharon. Ooh. Martin McDonough. Um, I've heard a lot of lot of hype for this film. And like in Bruges, free billboards, there's a like people love those films. I Free Billboards is like one of my favourite films yes. of the twenty tens. I think it's just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, this one, he's reuniting with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, so it is kind of going more into that In Bruges collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, this film's fantastic. It's yes. really fantastic. I mean, it's... you got your standard McDonough-isms, where all the dialogue's very whippy, quippy, play-like, uh, politically incorrect, <laughs> but just generally absolutely hilarious. I mean, it's a hilarious film, even just like the use of Irish accents in this film is... Is phenomenal. I could hear people behind me in the theatre being like, I can't understand what they're saying. I was like, well, I'll just roll with it, mate. <laughs> just got to roll with it. But in terms of what the story is actually about, and this is a story that can take place in any time setting. They've decided to put it in this fictional island of Inishiran, 1920s island, and sort mm-hmm. of with, the, with a civil war as the backdrop of the film. Now, don't get me wrong. The island itself is having its own civil war between these two friends, and that's the premise. That's pretty much all you need to be sold on the film is Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are two lifelong friends. One day, one of them decides, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And then the story plays out, it ensues. And I won't spoil anything else about what happens. So much of the fun is just seeing how the story unfolds. I thought Free Billboards was very similar in that mm-hmm. state where all you knew about that film was that initial premise. And then two minutes into your film, you're like, okay, whatever, everything else is brand new from here. No idea what to expect. So it kind of follows that same 
narrative trajectory and the script is key i mean the music's great the cinematography's gorgeous but it's all ultimately just there to serve what could very easily just be a well-done play Mm. even just you know the dialogue and the witticisms but the fact that you got this beautiful island landscape in the background but it's ultimately just two or three people talking in every scene so it is very play-like it is very madonna-like in that sense um but what I thought was so special about it taking place in 1920s Ireland is that because the story is so focused on just a dissection and deconstruction of friendship and, what, and the importance of friendship and why is it important to have friends or what, what is the value of, of destroying friendships, you could have done that any time. You could have done that in a contemporary setting. You could have added, you know, the 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 indoctrination of social media and like modern day entrepreneurship. You could have added all of that in here, but this film negates all of that it's just set on an island with you can count the number of people who inhabit this island on one hand Mm. or maybe two hands but you know very small but core cast they're all very sort of bitter lonely there's not a lot to live for yes on this island so that almost adds that extra layer of why friendships are so important Important. yeah and and almost why it is so crazy for this character to decide to end that uh friendship and and there's more i want to talk about it it gets a little spoilery so i won't um before i move on carrie condon she is fantastic in this film we have to talk about her in this film she was in better call soul with stacy herman trout <laughs> and uh, i'm so glad to see her get to really chew in a role in this film uh, she's in a lot of marvel films as well she plays like the friday voice the iron man voice that oh comes okay in. yeah so she's in a lot of stuff but this is like her first holy crap this is who Gary condon is role um, and she's fantastic. So, as well as Barry Keegan, as always, basically mm. playing Arnie Grape in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. <laughs> it's basically doing his interpretation of that role. But Zeke, have yes. you watched anything in the last week? Yeah, look, it's been a it's been a bit of a barren week. If been traveling quite a bit, been traveling for a week. <laughs> Thankfully, I did manage to catch a couple of films before um, heading off. So, nice. um, speaking of Martin McDonough, I caught In Bruges. Oh so my god, it's a good. What a segue! There you go. Um, which is also the other, you know... There you uh, go. It's pretty, where, the where, predecessor where that whole film. relationship began, I suppose. Yeah, I assume yeah. so, between Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and, and McDonough himself. Yeah. So um, this centres around two hitmen, mm. and um, it operates on the same dark comedy premise. You yeah, know, um, yeah. Centres around the, the miskillings of a, of a boy. But the film also does a similar... The, his plot structuring is definitely um he follows a very similar formula in and in, in, mm. you know we talked about three ball wars and you've just talked about yep. banshees in a sharing very similar in in bruges where the first act is monotonous mm. and non yeah <laughs> and and plotting and obviously it's gleason and farrell being going to this this town this town that's renowned for its its fairy tale like structure and just mm. calling it like a terrible place to live. <laughs> <laughs> just so depressed in this place. Yeah. My favorite favorite scene and it always like on Netflix it always is like the preview they play yeah. when you scroll over it. And it's them on the little rowboat and Brendan Gleason's just like, Oh look at that. Oh look at that. It just I lose it every time. It's so funny. Yeah. And <laughs> it's a really good yeah. It's a and then obviously takes a turn um, it's a good film. It's a good film. Oh, it's I, a funny film. Yeah, I'm not as on the because I know it's one of those films very divisive, and mm. I think McDonough himself is actually quite divisive. Is it? Okay. As, yeah. In terms of all his films, yeah, we both have very mixed, uh, differentiating sure, opinions but... with Three Billboards, where yeah. I think it's uh, just yeah, it doesn't do it for me. I really like Seven Psychopaths though. So See, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think maybe it's a, a hot cold, but I, I was reasonably pretty warm with this. I like Farrell's sort of high pitch voice, <laughs> and I think he's he delivers a very similar well, he his shoulders, yeah, yeah, a very similar performance in Banshees and Inisherin from the trailer I've watched that he's delivering this like almost boy like demeanor. He's he's a bit of a simpleton yeah. in the Banshees of Inisherin. That's a big part of the story is that he's he doesn't really have a lot of ambition and he's kind of. Everyone's like, you're not dumb. No, you're not, because because you're not. You're nice. That's kind of like a lot of the <laughs> the joke yeah. in that. So he does play a semi-similar character in that sense. But 
Yeah. Look at that. Good. What a tie in, Zeke. It's a good film. Beautiful. Fun stuff. film. Um, and then the only other film I watched was, uh, to wrap off the year, was Intergalactic, which is a um, cell shaded, stop motion animated Ooh. romance film. So, obviously, you know, with the Spider Verse trailer dropping, mm. very similar vein, um, centered around two African American characters. And it's just a very simple, standard love story. Um, yeah. It's definitely a style over substance kind of thing. You're not really going to get okay. anything. There's not much that separates it between any like any standard um, love story. Sure. Except we're In terms following of the, the scripts. Yeah, right. We're following yeah. two creatives that one moves into the other next door and they fall in love. Mm. So clearly, the animation style and the stylism through you know various scenes is is what the selling point is of sure. the film it's a fine watch it's an hour and 20 hour 30 it's it's not a difficult watch mm. everything happens that you think is going to happen is very predictable it's a very easy date night movie right yeah, I, I, I like that that's yeah that's what i call it. it but that's all yeah. i've i've, and I've wa- I started watching black sales which is a mm. um pirate drama that's sort of the the middle of the the golden age of piracy which is like the seven i think it's 1719 is when it's set it's cool it's fun sounds like it's up your alley (laughs) oh yeah as a massive pirate fan it's your cup of tea here for it so that's what i've caught in the last week excellent yeah well i mean that yeah that's a nice chill week for the both of us both been very busy in the new year yes oh Um, oh, have we jake well we have (laughs) we've been very busy so I guess a nice segue into our career updates. This is it. It's time, Zeke. Talk about... This might be the most... Not intense. The most important career update we've had on the show in quite a while. Yeah. Because we're working on a film. There you go. Working on a film later this month. So I've I've sort of mentioned it in passing over the last year or so. It's called Skin and Blister. It's happening, folks. We got a location. We got shoot dates. We got crew. We got cast. And it's happening. It's happening very soon. Hoping to have pretty much the film wrapped by the end of the month, <laughs> which is, oh dear, it's three, scary. It's gonna be three long nights, but it'll be three nights worthwhile. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. Yeah, this has been a bit of a roller coaster, especially yeah, just because only getting the location. It was one of those things where I told you, it's like the location getting locked, like going to that meeting, um, meeting with everyone there, and making sure we're shaking the right hands and providing the correct insurances mm-hmm. and. <laughs> things like that but once we got the okay it was like oh boy oh 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 god okay we got less than a month let's make this happen and it's been a good energy just communicating with everyone and getting really nitty-gritty with things we finally figured out the last name for the characters today there you go because we need it on a prop we need the surname in a prop and it's like the fact that that stuff's all just like getting done 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 every hour is so exciting now i've never done this before zeke Mm. we're doing an indiegogo fundraiser for the film yes we are so, um, this is entirely being funded by me up until this point, and I'm making it a point to pay everyone the correct night loading rates for shooting, because we are shooting till 2 in the morning on a weekend, Yeah, and I want everyone to be paid fairly, because I think it's ridiculous how many sets that are still happening, that are still going on around, that people just aren't getting paid for. And I, I get it, I completely get it, and I'm in a bit of a privileged position where I can save enough money to do this. But it is important to me. That being said, I'm going to be completely bankrupt <laughs> by the end of this. So if you feel like supporting, if you feel like even just sharing it or learning more about the film, you can go on Indiegogo. Uh, so the page is Skin and Blister, a short film. It's not active right now, but hopefully by the time this episode goes live, I guess in an hour or two. Huge Hopefully news. it will be active. We've got a you little... and I have never done one of these before. No, never. Never. Yeah. It's um, Which I think is good because I feel like we've sort of... And this is your first Banked directing give, gig in like oh forever three, it feels like maybe four years. I think it's my first non-fiction film since Disconnected, which is coming up on four years old. That film that was March first, yeah. so it has been a while. This you joke. This kind of does feel like a second coming almost. Yep. <laughs> but but Jake's directorial debut. But of course you're going to be on the set um, in a producing capacity. You could make sure the. The wheels are turning. I'm good at that. I'm good at that. <laughs> Excellent. Feels like the most teacher role on a set. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I hope well, I don't get yelled at too much. Nah, we'll be right. We'll be right. 
but it, it is very exciting. So if you want to learn more about the film or support it, of course you can go there. Um, I want to stress that the film is being self-funded. It is being made, even if the film makes zero dollars on this uh, campaign, the film is still being made. So don't feel pressure from that standpoint, but of course we would all extremely appreciate it. It's not just for uh, payment and feeding the crew as well. Mm. Some of the other things, of course, um, hiring equipment, paying for the creation or purchase of production design props. Yeah, and you've got a lot of very talented people working on this. A lot of, well, it, it's true, and, and I actually wrote that in Award-winning the... Award-winning people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I wrote that in the Indiegogo. I'm trying to find the exact quote. I said, the team have years of filmmaking experience between them. I hope that's grammatically correct, as in, like, each individual person has years yeah. and years of experience. They've all, so, got, they've all got a few awards here and there. Yeah, so they, they deserve... Uh, yeah. First off, I hope they have fun making this film. It's going to be tough. <laughs> Late nights, fake rain. It's um the, the one thing is there's not a whole lot of shots. There are only seventy shots at the moment for the whole film, but quite of them are a lot of them are very long takes. <laughs> so I apologize for that. That's like our one saving grace. Is okay. We only got seventy shots. Yeah. So hopefully it's in not, three days. In three days. Well, e- even so, it's it's. Closer to 60, because there's a bit of a... Spoiler alert, there's a little bit of a flashback sequence. So that will have to be done on another day. Just sort of, you know, a few shots on this half-night sort of mm. thing. Um, but the majority of the film, you're right, will be in this free-night shoot. So that's coming up very, very shortly. You'll probably hear, be hearing a lot about it in the next few episodes mm-hmm. of the show, and I'm going to be mentioning it quite a lot. So Skin and Blister, Indiegogo. Yeah. Uh, check it out. excuse to get some of them on the show, too. Yes. Ooh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. We've got quite a few people that could jump on and explain yeah. it. There's a couple of Cinema Side Show alumni working there on it. There is. Stephen Clark's son, yeah. which is very exciting. Um, but there's there's plenty of new faces we should introduce as well. So Yeah. We're about very to hit exciting. year five, aren't we? Five I guess this will be our first... Oh, no, no, sorry. Fourth. This is our fourth this, show. This is our second awards. to last episode of season four. Yeah. So you're right. Very close to... In fact, I think the... Will it be the first episode of season five? The the weekend we shoot? It yeah. It could be. That's Ooh, pretty wild. It's all so this is kind of a cliffhanger like, season finale. I know. People are going to be listening to the podcast years in advance, being like, what happened? I must know. Um, yeah, very, very exciting stuff. I can't wait to uh, tell more people about the film. So does this count as a clicker productions, or is this a new thing? Yeah, this is... So... Legal, hot take legally speaking, okay, so like a lot of the insurances and things, uh, contracts and whatnot, a lot of that has been done through the Clicker Productions name because it is like that's the ABN that it, I'm still keeping up to date just so I can run the business and whatnot. But in terms of the, it's probably going to have its own marketing. It will have like its own, it will be a Skin and Blister Facebook page. It won't be a Clicker Productions thing that's tagged in it. So I don't know what I'm doing with that, that terminology yet. That's a good question. But, um, Right, right now I'm just like, let's get this thing in the yeah. can. <laughs> we'll worry about that later. But um, you might see a, a like a Clicker Production logo or something slip in there at some mm. point, just because of like I'm using that name for a lot of the legalities of it. Um, but that's a really good question. My my answer is this would kind of be its own thing. So we shall see. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. exciting. Well, that is very exciting news, and we'll have to keep track. Use the show as our catalyst for keeping mm. track of production. Um, and, well, very exciting times. We'll keep peddling that Indiegogo page in the coming <laughs> weeks also. Send me money! Cinema Side Show Awards, <laughs> sponsored by Skin and Blister. Oh, God. Like a certain character in the film of the week. I need lots and lots of money. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's a good segue into the film of the week. But, Jake, what are we watching? Let's pick up the show, Zeke. We're watching Guillermo del Toro's. Pinocchio! I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but (laughs) you don't. Over there! What is that? Papa! (gasps) It speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand. Ah, we have found him, our star. 
Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! I have something I'd like to give you. It is a school book which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love him. And I won't be a burden anymore. Love will give you life. During the rise of fascism in Mussolini's Italy, a wooden boy brought magically to life struggles to live up to his father's expectations. What was that first line again? Love will give you life. Love will give you life. Man, it's so odd for a film that's so clearly more about death. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Obviously, this is a collab, isn't it? Mark Gustafsson and... And Guillermo de Toro, yeah, I guess I guess he came in as pretty much the animation advisory. That is my assumption. I think he does not have any other. Oh, that's not true. He's got some other credits, but these look like shorts, some animated shorts as well. So, yeah, that is an interesting collaboration. But, but despite that title, I mean, I mean, the title of the film, Guillermo de Toro, is very clearly his auteur piece in regards to his adaptation of the story, and it's funny because. Like I mentioned, we did the nineteen forty version a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Yes, and I think the main takeaway—I mean, it, uh, that version is clearly the one that's most synonymous in people's minds and imaginations. That's what people think of as Pinocchio and the childhood story, something we associate with our youth. And we always joke about how weirdly dark that film is, and and it's it's weirdly dark because of. Just some of the weird aspects about the whole, like, the whale, mm. you know, eating Geppetto aspect to it. But then even just, like, the kids smoking cigars and turning into donkeys. And there's just, like, a lot of that stuff on the surface. But then the underlying, uh, the underlining darkness of that film, which we joke about. But I think what this film does is sort of ground that darkness. And I, I, I'm very proud of this. I should go back and rewrite my letterbox review to include this. This film feels like Guillermo del Toro trading the magical monkeys for guns and aerial bombs. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of this is a, a much more real version of the dark story. Yeah. But, um, Zeke, what was your takeaway first watching Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Yeah, big fan of it. I mean, I definitely think it walks that. that it's such an interesting stop-motion animation. Mm. has become... has always had a weird maturity element to it i mean you can even bring it back to as something as 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 hilarious as something like uh the wallace and gromit shorts mm, or sure or the, the, or the specials um which although they are all g-rated they they have a sure. level of cynicism to them and then anything mm. ardman has gone on to do after that you know we talked about chicken run yeah a couple of weeks chicken ago Run's a great example of this where you know, you're taking such a children's concept and you and animation, which mm. would be synonymous with what you would think very childish films, mm. and giving very maturity or, or dark or real world aspects to them. And um, the Ardman bailout has always been the, the oh, it's a bit darker, but they've got British humour in there, and I definitely think right. that that helps <laughs> soften the blow. I mean, you know, you've got in chicken run you know they're basically in an internment camp yeah <laughs> the vi- the and visuals are not subtle at all <laughs> there's that. a deep implication that they're in a in a world war 2 prisoner of war situation yeah. or or um but it's hidden behind the fact that all of the the hens are very british basically yeah. <laughs> is the the comedy i don't want to be a pie <laughs> yeah um and whereas this does not have that Subtlety. This carries way more into what we start to see with, particularly Isle of Dogs, like Wes Anderson's last stop motion mm. animation, where, where we're still getting the the quaint Wes Anderson humor, but it definitely felt more sinister in Isle of Dogs than it did in any of his live action films, even. Sure. Yeah. Um, and immediately this this film sets the precedent in its prologue, really. Mm. You know, with the relationship between Geppetto and. And Carlo, and mm. even the conception of Pinocchio is so dark and sinister. It's in a, <laughs> it's in a drunken rage. Yeah, 
the thunder's going in the back. It's very much a Frankenstein homage, but it's it's so dark and spooky. And, and you're right, even just like when the film starts and you see Carlo, and again, the, the most famous iteration of Pinocchio, there is no Carlo, there is no drunk, angry Geppetto. You know, it's all like, he's just an old sweet man who wants his, his doll to come to life. And in here, it's, oh no. <laughs> when they introduce the yeah. son, it's like, oh no, this is, this is not going to end well. But even just like, and and this is such a fantastic scene as well when when the aerial bomb does land on the church. I mean, it just everything about that, the amalgamation of of war and violence and and church and religion and all the iconography that comes with those things, mm. with this young boy who is just such a sweet little boy. The film, you know, it's it's not a slow paced film, but it, like it takes a good minute to let you understand how perfect Geppetto's life is. That his son is this perfect puzzle piece in his life that he's such a sweet boy and, and they have this wonderful um, relationship together and, and he's even interested in his father's um, you know woodistry is it? yeah <laughs> so, he essentially has the son that's just perfect the perfect son exactly and to see him inside this church especially that that shot where it kind of pushes in on the cross before the whole thing just explodes in this like epic way it's like wow okay like I see what Guillermo's trying to do here. And we talked about it. We did the Guillermo director's corner, I think, for Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. When we, and then we followed up with Nightmare Alley. And now so. another child-driven narrative. Exactly. And which sort of imbues that wartime darkness mm-hmm. as well. And I think that's something that's really imbued into Guillermo's childhood himself. And that's probably why he keeps telling this kind of story. So you kind of know what you're in for <laughs> yeah. when you start this film. And... Like you said, when when you take that that perfect puzzle piece out of his life, he's this he's this old drunken, angry, I wouldn't say fool, but just like this this husk of a man that he once was. And and one of the very first lines in the movie he has is all good things require patience. That's one of the first life lessons he life lessons he gives Carlo. Yeah. Which is advice he himself can't take because he is just not patient enough with this new son that he has been gifted in Pinocchio. Now, that's another drastic change we should talk about. And again, why I kind of find it interesting that the logline you read mentions life or love will give you life. When Pinocchio was first like brought to life by, I guess, the sprite. It's all the wood sprite played by mm. Tilda Swinton who also plays Death. It's very, very much the uh, the good and wicked witch from Wizard of Oz comparison. It's very there. Tilda Swinton, isn't it? Oh, it's a very perfect <laughs> role for her. There's some great roles in here for everyone. Um, and the voice cast, like, across the board, phenomenal. Yeah. Just phenomenal performance all around, especially from Gregory Mann as Pinocchio. Young child, hasn't really done a lot of films, very much a musical kid, so very appropriately cast. And David Bradley as Geppetto. Yeah, good old Filch. Mm. <laughs> nails it. Absolutely nails the performance. But And we can talk about Ewan McGregor as well. I mean, yeah. He grows on you so well in this film. He does. And yeah. I think that he's the... For me, he's the way of pulling this film. Just, you know, I'm talking about this adult, mature theme. And, you know, Ardman tends to use British humour to get out of that sort of... Yeah. It's, this is super dry. He's definitely in that role. Like, because his mm. Jimmy Cricket is still... Or Sebastian... Seba- yeah, J- um, Sebastian J. Cricket. Cricket um, <laughs> is sort of in the same role, because he still plays a real moral compass character. Yeah, he's a, it's a very familiar... Um, interpretation of, it's of the cricket. Definitely yeah. the, the the most overt link to the forties Pinocchio. Mm. Um that and actually but I would say arguably has less of a role in this as he sure. does in the yeah. in the forties one. He's not as much the narrator of, of the story. In fact there are significant portions of the story he's actually not even a feature in. Mm. Um the whole mid part of the movie with Volpe and, and Pinocchio and Pinocchio going to uh, the youth, mm-hmm. um, the fascist youth camp. Yeah. And the well, you know, cricket's just not there. He's not present. Yeah. So he's not there to narrate it. Yeah. yeah. And it obviously is. It's not an omniscient narrator. He's mm-hmm. very much in the story. So yeah. um, it, I do think he's very endearing. Um, he's got such yeah. a noticeable voice, so it's hard to not, yeah, well, I, I think that's why I said he grows in you, because uh, you're right, you and McGregor, that voice immediately 
Like he's he's doing a great performance and he's really charming and and you care for him, especially his like monologue. I mean, that's kind of his big thing he says, and I'm I'm probably going to paraphrase it, but you know, I'm going to try my best, and that's the best anyone can do. That line mm. is just so endearing the way he says it, and it's so childlike, and he just nails it. But like you said, you have to kind of you don't do you don't have to do any work to unlearn. Oh, that's you and McGregor, because it just grows on you as his performance plays out and you're like yeah no I love this character and it's just the right amount of mm. cocky and arrogant but he has that he has that mini arc as well where he learns to sacrifice his desire for like fame and fortune as like a novelist in order to give Pinocchio life again towards the mm. end so he has his own little arc there but like you said it's probably the most familiar thing to the 1940s adaptation in terms of a one to one comparison but to take it back to the wood sprite the one thing that isn't in the 40s version is there is no promise that he'll become a real boy. No. That is not an equation of the story until the very end. Yeah. And even then, it's almost presented as like a as like a sacrifice, as like a negative. Yeah. That by being real, he's now mortal. And like that's almost positioned as a bad thing and something that he has to choose as like a sacrifice towards the end. But him being born and... and I guess the goal of it is to keep this old, poor, you know, lonely man company. There is no reward at the end of that goal. That's just, like, his existence, his purpose to live. Mm. <laughs> Which I, I think is interesting, because it's almost more confident in the storytelling, but not having that be a goal. It's like, it's almost relying on the driving question being, will Geppetto and Pinocchio get along? Because that's another big surprise. They, well, especially Geppetto, kind of hates Pinocchio at the start. Yeah. He's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a it's a haunting aspect. And this comes back to the, the, the really the, the, the dangers of the world around mm. um you know and, and bringing in that that fascist time. It's not as overt as what it is in um Pan's Labyrinth sure. where you know uh, the main villain is is it we're in the right middle of that Spanish Civil War conflict mm. and whereas this is definitely more representing the societal reform of right. the time and the yep. militant propaganda side. And it, it does still touch on the the power that fascism shapes a culture and really shapes people's quotations, happiness, mm. um, what's right and wrong is, is, but it's not as intrinsic as it is to the plots of stuff like Isle, Isle of Dogs or, or Pan's Labyrinth. Sure, and, yeah. Um, this one comes back to the, you know, Pinocchio being granted this sort of, immortality because he's not really a real boy mm, he's the perfect soldier as they say <laughs> and yeah and obviously how yeah, everyone wants to exploit uh, a gifted person or someone mm. who's different but i find it interesting you know you, you know we get to the latter stages of the of the story and and how you know um every time pinocchio is is, is killed is killed mm. you know he has to wait in purgatory longer and it's an interesting premise that I don't think the the film explores as much as I think I wanted it to. I think in terms of death, yeah. Like, I mean, the film op- ultimately ends up where you think is going to happen. Mm. Where and spoilers alert, and this is a massive spoiler. So if you haven't watched Pinocchio, but you know you should know the rules by right. now. We're end end of season four. <laughs> so um, the the fact that all his loved ones do pass away. That is, oh, I I love that ending so much, and it's really good. Yeah, and it's what it for me. You know, you, did you ever think Pinocchio could potentially have a sequel? Uh, is there a sequel there? <laughs> um, is there a sequel to Pinocchio? Um, uh, yeah, I I think does does Pinocchio any movie Pin- with the director's name in the title? I I would be surprised if there was a sequel. I yeah. mean, even like Joker two being a thing is like weird, and that that was like almost half expected. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think for me, it, it's just a, it is an interesting, and you're given that premise, and you obviously, I feel like the time situation is a really good premise that the film doesn't super explore because right. it doesn't you know the the few times pinocchio does die he's not out of it for very long he's sure. not out of it for substantial periods of time and i know the more times he dies the longer the time is sure i feel like that ultimately is just a setup to when 
he has to make the sacrifice of Geppetto's drowning and he mm. can't wait enough for the even though he has to wait like it feels like a minute <laughs> he's like yeah. I can't wait that minute I need to go in now and save him. I think that was all really just setting up that plot point even though it's an interesting premise but they don't you're right they don't take it to the point where nah. he's out for like 10 years it's not, it's not interstellar yeah you know which I, I kind of get I could, that could have been cool to see as well yeah yeah so I'm, I'm not totally disagreeing with you there but Sebastian wastes, wastes his wish <laughs> yeah but like I mean that's it it's like that's his character because he, he, he this is what he's for this is his family now I guess so that True. That kind of makes sense, but to me, and I think, I guess because the the ending is is not only that he outlives everyone, but that he just moves on. He like he's walking down the the I guess the bricklaid road or whatever, and and there's going to be more adventures. And I think that's probably a note to. I think the original book, I could be wrong, is called The Adventures of Pinocchio, so it's kind of implying that there are more adventures for him to go with maybe different characters. That's kind of what the ending means to mm. me. Um, but I I absolutely adore because it it's just so it's so sad. Yeah, that like th- these are the sacrifices they've made to be in each other's lives, and he just outgrows them anyway. So it's yeah, it's a very sad ending. So I'm glad we brought that up. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a super. I mean, he gets to they get to live a happy. He, Geppetto sure, gets a happy yeah. Oh, I guess it's bittersweet. Yeah, yeah. it's because we yeah. it's because we jump straight to that that death, and then that's the reveal that Jiminy Jiminy. I'm going to keep calling him Jimmy Sebastian. Um, you know, as the narrator, he's actually is narrating from. Beyond the grave, he's telling yeah. the story to the. Were they roaches? What were they? Oh, the bunnies, uh, rabbits. bunny rabbits. Right, you're right. Um, they're sort of afterlife rabbits, which I thought was a nice little uh, tie in there. I think that's like during the credits, isn't mm. it? When that that's revealed. But yeah, in terms of just what it says about life and death, and and you mentioned it earlier in terms of all these different groups of people trying to utilize the perfect soldier, where it's like they want the perfect war, performer, the perfect performer, and even just the way that. You know, Podesta, Podesta, I believe that's his name, um, obviously is getting financial benefit from uh, leaning into the, you know, like you said, the propaganda of, of this wartime, where he starts sending these, like, um, what's the word? Well, very, uh, you know, the, the very patriotic Captain America S oh, dance how number. How Volpe, <laughs> yeah, Volpe is, like, manipulating Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, Christoph Waltz. Oh, Christoph we got to love him. <laughs> yeah. But even just how all his those death, elements man, tie together. His death isn't just... <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> We're just talking about how dark this film gets. Just that scene when, like, the guns... Because you got the other guy. you got Candlewick as well. Mm. That's a great little relationship they develop. Finn Wolf. Where, yes, exactly. Where he has, he has to shoot Pinocchio. He's being ordered to shoot Pinocchio. And it's like, it's raining. And there's, there's gun violence about to occur. And then the aerial mm. bombings. It's like... This is just insane. <laughs> this is just so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. there is a lot going on, you know. There's a, the, like the the conversation, the manipulation, manipulation of youth, the, um, sort of the the satirical commentary on the, the children often displaying more cognitive emotional awareness than the the adults mm, yes. in the room. The, even the the, the even the joke the direct joke at Mussolini's expense where like he's being <laughs> told he's a poopy and he's like they, they yep. saying poopy like it's it's very smart yeah it's just a really clever film I I don't think I enjoyed it as much as stuff like Pan's Labyrinth I think okay yeah um but the way Del Toro's I love his depiction of Pinocchio this yep pure wooden boy that's like etched and incorrect and his design is amazing yeah that's a really good point and even even just that symmetry between geppetto being unable to finish the cross like he spends many i guess months it would be with the cross unfinished much like pinocchio's unfinished because he says i'll finish him tomorrow and then passes out so it's i like that it's almost duality there going on and and just the symbolism that he can't stand to look at Pinocchio, mm. it, it, it's not even just being scared visually, or the comparisons of you know why people are scared of him as a wooden boy, and but not so much of the wooden cross in the church. Mm. But it's also just the emotional attachment of I can't deal with a new son right now, yeah, and I can't deal with this thing that is unfinished that I haven't completed. Because I guess Geppetto would be a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah, it is. It is work. interesting the conversation, and they don't really address it. Um, Pinocchio is revealed relatively early on by death that 
he has the soul of Carlo in him. Right, um, okay. You know, there's a line like, you've already passed through here before, mm. but you've now got the soul of another, but you're essentially the equivalent of a chair. Right. Um, <laughs> timeless. My but... stupid sister, yeah. yeah. Um, and I find it interesting that is that information that Pinocchio can't bring back to the real world? Like, why doesn't he ever talk? I know part of him almost... Souls aren't consciousness, I guess. So, mm. the I guess the implication is Pinocchio is still Pinocchio, but he's got Carlo within him. I it's a very interesting... Because I feel like his character arc is almost to be seen as his own person. And that's yeah. what Geppetto outright says, is like, you're not him but I'm happy for you to be you. I can love you as, like, your own person as Pinocchio. So it is... Yeah, that is interesting. Almost a juxtaposition there. Yeah, it's almost like why I have the line about Carlo in there. Right. Like, I feel like it might murky it a little bit. Like... Yeah. I wouldn't mind going back and seeing what that was all about, that specific line. Yes, because what's, I guess, in Del Toro's perception of what mm. a soul is, it's the essence of of the boy but right or the essence of the child not necessarily how the child acts sure it's not like a personality the... thing yeah it's not a personality yeah, because that, that's probably carlo was very inquisitive he was reading books mm-hmm. he was taking an interest he was cooperative he was well behaved but then that comes back to this commentary on conditioning our youth was that mm. the way geppetto conditioned carlo yes. to think and act yes. and be and, you know, obviously in a wider perception, we've got kids going to intensive boot camps and getting taught <laughs> fascist propaganda or or being used in performative aspects. So it's the exploitation of adults yeah. there on their youth. I think, it, I think I actually thought the exact same thing in terms of we're seeing this, like, crystallized moment of, of Geppetto and Carlo, but it's like, to what extent... Oh, he has to be a good father. He's obviously fathered this boy into this, you know, wonderful spirit that he is or personality I should say um, and it probably goes back to his patience line in terms of all good mm. things come with patience because you know when you have Pinocchio he's very childlike he's like mimicking people he's like laughing as he's like getting, setting himself on fire and he's like he, he keeps wanting things but not understanding what those things are he's basically a four year old but because Geppetto doesn't have that patience to he even says he's like I don't have patience for for you right now or um or you're a burden on me things like that i think it's just almost his willingness is the difference between having like a son that that he can really bond with versus just having a, a spoiled brat like pinocchio mm. <laughs> kind of is at the start of the but film. it's that other thing you know it's that it's that the juxtaposition juxtaposition of the relationship that pinocchio has with geppetto with candlewick's relationship yes yeah much more dictatorial 100 percent, and and undermining and demeaning mm. yeah because he doesn't live up to that potential. So it, I think that the film is definitely trying to sort of show, yeah, patience is at its core, I guess. Mm. From every aspect, because, yeah. you know, from Pinocchio waiting in purgatory to, um, and sort of taking that time to think about the world mm. around him, you know, with those small conversations they have with death. Yeah. So it is interesting. It's a good film. Yeah, no, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's probably going to win the Oscar, isn't it? For oh, animation. Well, I bloody hope so, because it's not a Pixar film, so <laughs> who knows? But, um, I mean, hey, I I actually I liked Lightyear quite a bit. I liked Turning Red quite a bit. I think it ended up on my top ten films of the year, which I think is a little absurd, but mm. but that's how it ended up. But, but I think purely just from an animation standpoint, this film... I mean, I've always sort of thought that, especially with like yeah. the animation categories, like a good percentage of what makes it you know a winner in this category should be the animation and and when i think about the story of pinocchio which is about a handcrafted puppet mm. that goes from being stagnant to coming to life and like even that scene when he's on the beach dead like it's a testament to not only the animators but even the sound design of just yep. like the sort of clanking wood when he is dead it's like now you're bringing a puppet to life but making them look dead so it's like this is the perfect story for handcrafted animation, for keyframe animation, because you're literally bringing a character to life through magic. It's pretty cool seeing 
Pinocchio at the center of animation's greatest achievements, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's a really good way to put it, actually. I even wrote a list of things, because we talked about this with the 1940 film, uh, been such a pioneer of, of mm-hmm. 2D animated features at the time, that th- that film goes out of its way to impress its audience. Mm-hmm. Even just through like unique camera angles, I remember specifically like using the refraction of the, the fishbowl uh, just doing all sorts of things like that to be like, look, this is yeah. what's possible in animation. Look, we can recreate all these techniques. I noted, I noted a few of the ones that this film does as well, because it almost feels like this film is also trying to impress you from that standpoint. Um, just the scene of Carlo trying to catch the pine cone, just the animation of the pine cone like falling to gravity. I thought was that's a nice little touch that wouldn't be easy to do. The POV shot of Carlo swinging on the swing set, which that I that I mean, there's footage of how they shot that. But it is like, oh, that that's so cool because you've got to make sure the the background that he's like swinging past has the correct motion blur and everything. So it's like those kinds of things would be so tricky to do. Um, to better kicking a balloon. Mm. A balloon has drastically different physics <laughs> to most everything else in this film. Um, even just like the slapsticky, squishy um, physics of the cricket and the yep. fact that he's constantly getting smooshed by glasses and doors and stepped on and things like that. Like, that's almost like a stylistic thing where you kind of have to choose to portray that. Yeah. I also love that the cricket can never finish his song about his papa. <laughs> it's just constantly interrupted. <laughs> he keeps trying. He's trying to bust out that Moulin Rouge voice. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other thing... Well, there's two other ones I really want to talk about. Um, I love the way the film embraces... I, I said imperfect lighting. Is that, is that what I wrote down? In terms of... There are certain scenes where they very clearly are matte paintings where they've had like a big green screen around like the, the, the set of the film, the puppet set, and then they've they've added that in. But they've they've kind of they've diffused it all or um made the, the uh, what's it called? The focus is pretty dim on it. So it kinda of does look fakey, but almost in like a this is a real movie fake mm-hmm. kind of way. And that that's something that Guillermo talks about in his um 30-minute docker that's on Netflix. It's called Handcrafted Cinema. Is that he loves the imperfection of stop motion because it almost makes it feel real, um, which I, I mentioned a few weeks ago. Uh, the other thing is, like, fire and water effects. Like, I mean, the fires are very clearly turned, like, paper-mache mm-hmm. effect going on. It's, like, running at, like, half frame rate speed. Yeah. Um, and, and the water with the whale scene. I don't even want to begin to think how that was achieved. <laughs> it's pretty wild, eh? It's, I um, mean, it's a very epic scene, isn't it? But it's, it's all even the 1940s version was wildly epic. Yeah, that whale scene. Um, I want to give a shout out to Kate Blanchett for being a playing, monkey. For being a monkey, I really hope that was her doing the puppet voices, where the monkey is playing. Oh, I'm sure it's, it is. It has to be. That's cool. And she stuck. Her, she wanted to be in that because of Nightmare Alley. That's right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which we we did Nightmare Alley on the show. We both big yeah. fans of it. Yeah, we liked it quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't the biggest thing for everyone, but uh, Totoro, man, he's he's a gun. Um, I might save some of this for the highlight scene. I want to see if there's anything else I wanted to mention. Um, No, like I said, I think all the the iconography, the the wartime stuff, the religion stuff, I was surprised it didn't take those elements further, kind of to your Mm. point of, it, like this idea of death not being taken mm-hmm. further, um, it almost kind of feels like the commentary on like the the comparison between Pinocchio and the and the wooden cross. It kind of just ends the moment that Pinocchio points that at himself. Yeah, and I, I was surprised they didn't take that further. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I I love how it was all used though. I'd say my highlight scene. I'll talk about yeah. I'll I'll talk about the probably the internment camp stuff, but particularly the war scene uh, between the two opposing children factions. It definitely has a... uh, Oh, the capture of the flag. (laughs) The the capture of the flag. I like this scene and how it unfolds and we we sort of... Everything sort of hits a fever pitch at the end of this scene Mm. when we talk about winners... They talk about winners and losers. But essentially what I like about this sequence is it's... And to a testament that they don't really explore the religious, the religious aspect or the militarization aspect, or the propaganda. As, as much as I thought they would have. I think to clarify, yeah. To it's 
to its defense or the, or at least the rationale behind that is because it's such a time and place film in the sense that mm. and and we find this out obviously by the end of the film when Pinocchio is left alone and is like well I'm just going to go explore the world yeah um and find meaning within it and basically the Pinocchio's deaths are bookmarks in chapters mm. like he dies, he wakes up, he's with Volpe, he dies, he wakes up, he's working for, you know, the Count, um, Candesso. And, it's, like a, it's like a quick travel in, a, and, <laughs> in an open world game. And I think that's why we only see little aspects of it, because Pinocchio is essentially a sponge, mm. and the real only thread that we're following is, is the thread with him trying to basically meet this this impossible standard Geppetto is is holding him to mm. for Geppetto it's the it's the opposite it's uh, you know treating you know learning to love again yeah and what i like about that scene is we sort of see the rock bottom of of a poor relationship between a father and son that don't appreciate each other's when we see Candlewick basically turn the gun on his own dad yeah it's a very powerful sequence and Obviously, the Candesso, he gets what's coming to him. He gets <laughs> tied up in the... Uh, and a bomb dropped on him. Um, it's interesting. Um, I hope that implies that not everyone in that compound is dead. Um, they made a point of showing that Candlewick was still running around alive yeah. after the, the big, I guess, explosion, if you will. Yeah. But um, I almost kind of would have liked to have seen him die, to be honest. Poof. I would, I'm not not big. I think he's a great character. I just like it almost would have felt more impactful if like wow, even he didn't survive this. Yeah, yeah. Just a more dark turn of the story. No, I think that's excellent. Maybe in another Del Toro universe. Maybe, maybe the next one we'll get Finn Wolfhard in in person. He's already killed off enough kids in Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, <laughs> how many more do you want? I know well, it's because he killed Pinocchio several times. <laughs> like, well, I will kill multiple kids, but just in this one form, <laughs> in this wooden form. And I love how like the bullet holes and things like. They just stay on him. Like, those mm. aren't scars he can get rid of. Yeah, I d- the don't sign of Pinocchio is great. Um, I guess before I get into my main highlights here, I already mentioned it, actually, but a few, like, little nuggets and shots that I really liked. Another shot that I loved was the passing car with Mussolini. It was it, it reminded me of Roma a lot in terms of how mm. you show the importance of a character through their car and how like, the camera's sort of um, tracking right as the car's going left and the number of seats and separation between the driver and him... Um, with the backdrop, I thought that was a really cool shot. Um, and I also love the idea that in this one, the cricket's attachment to Pinocchio is that he's literally carved off the wood from the tree that he had built a home in himself. Mm. He's like, this is where I'm going to write my great novel. And he, he, he's always attract, attached to that home. So, yeah, he's say what you want about the cricket. He is devoted <laughs> to his mm. homes. But I guess my true highlight scene would be, like we mentioned earlier, the, the scene when Geppetto drunkenly actually like chops down the tree and creates Pinocchio mm-hmm. and forms him because of just yeah how dark and manic and and thundery the whole scene raw. is very raw I picked up on the Frankenstein um, connection they mentioned it in the 30 minute docos I was like yep nailed it <laughs> um, just a great haunting scene that like more than I think any other scene in any other Pinocchio showcases what's unique about Guillermo's version of it and shout out to all the music as well was actually Alexandre Desplat who not only did the um, music, but the, all the original songs that are sung. Because the film is essentially a musical as well. Mm. We haven't even talked about that. Um, I thought it was yeah. awesome, great stuff. And and the way he incorporates the patriotic song that Pinocchio is singing into the Capture the Flag game, which like a version of that tune playing during I just that was all fantastic stuff. Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio is currently out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Netflix, Jake, yes. what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week? Well, if you want to stick to good old Netflix, you've got The Pale Blue Eye, which sees Christian Bale as a veteran detective investigate a series of grisly murders with the help mm. of a young cadet, Harry Melling. There's another Harry Potter connection right there, who would go on to become the world-famous author Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. Look at that. When was the last time we saw Christian Bale? I know he was he was um the the god of something and got in four, which I still haven't seen yet. Yes. He was in Thor, Ferrari. Love and Thunder. And then yeah. he was in He was in Amsterdam, wasn't he? Oh you're right, of course. 
That is I one I should. That is one I should catch as well. That's a good, yeah, good catch. Okay, so he's actually been pretty busy. I take that back. Mm. Well done, well done, Christian Bale. So, stop, stop changing your weight so damn much. I think he has stopped. I think, he, I think after Vice, I think he yeah. stopped doing that. <laughs> to be fair, uh, coming to Disney Plus, we got the horror film Barbarian, which is finally available for people to watch. In fact, it's probably out already because yeah, we get, like you said, we are a couple of days late, so a lot of these are probably already out, ready to go. Uh, you've also got If These Walls Could Sing, a documentary on the nine decades of history inside the walls of the Abbey Road Studios. Cool. Probably the most famous studio ever. Um, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. That sounds I great. Hopefully you get a lot of really good artists in those interview chairs. And that's on, what's that on? That's on Disney+. Plus. Disney+. Plus. So there you go. Uh, the original Rocky trilogy is coming to Prime. Uh, coming... <laughs> punch, punch some Z. Uh, coming to Binge, you've got films such as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest... Uh, Brooklyn, Carol, which I've seen a lot of people talk about Carol lately. It's got a resurgence, I guess. Uh, and How to Talk to Girls at Parties, a really weird-looking A24 film. Uh, and coming to Paramount this week, Paramount Plus, you've got The Almond and the Seahorse, which follows the lives of two couples who deal with their loved ones who each suffer from amnesia. It's a bit of a Swallows of Kabul structure mm. there. I guess two couples on their own journeys, but similar pathways. Um, stars Rebel Wilson... And has an eight percent Rotten Tomato score. <laughs> Rough. Did I set you up there, Zeke? Yeah, uh, you did. For a really good thought-provoking film with Rebel Wilson. <laughs> oh, I had to, I had to do it. I had to do it. I'm sorry. Finally, coming to cinemas. It's not a lot. You got Mummies, which is an animation about three mummies who find themselves in present-day London. That sounds funny. Like it's cute. Mummies. No, or yeah, okay. classic mummies. All wrapped up. Got Operation Fortune, which I didn't realize this was a thing until yesterday. It's a Guy Ritchie film. Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham, team up for a new spy flick. I think the gimmick here is like they need like a movie star to like be. Yeah, I've seen the trailer. Yeah, probably going they, they to get dragged night. to go watch it because oh, Lucinda loves. A, she loves Jason Statham. Yes, uh, someone loves Jason Statham. I, I, I will say, reading this <laughs> logline, I was like, oh god, I couldn't care less. But seeing the trailer, I was like, well. I really like The Gentleman quite a lot. More the than most people. so good. More than most people, we like The Gentleman. And also, the trailer was pretty funny. There were some really funny lines. So yeah. like, you know what? Might, be, might not be half bad. Might check out Looks Operation like a fun Fortune. popcorn date movie. Yeah. A legitimate one. I like that. That's out tomorrow? Uh, I think that's probably out right now. Yeah. You might be right. It might be tomorrow. But at some point this week, it's coming out. You also got Marcel, the, share, the shell with shoes on. My apologies. Which is the, uh, I guess, uh, recent hit A24 animated live action hybrid mockumentary. Getting a lot of buzz. So I guess that's like back in cinemas. I don't know if that was ever. Mm. It's kind of like Pearl, where it's like. It's been out forever, but also has not come out in Australia. Which right. Is really bugging me, that whole situation. So that's out. And finally, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans goes wide. So I can finally watch this damn film. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Ah, Zeke, you're mean. You and you and Blake, you're both you're both being mean to me. <laughs> I want to watch what I do, but now it's my chance. Very exciting. There you go. Mm. Well, we're not catching any of those next week oh, on the show. It. it is indeed a two hundred four hundred two hundredth and eighth episode. Got there. Oh my god, it is too. Next week, a big award show, which is the fourth annual Golden Chock Top. End of year awards. Yeah, season four finale. For the yeah, or the season podcast. season four finale. So we'll be deciding our. Well, we'll talk about that after we tell the movie of the week. Jake. Yeah. Good what call. are we watching? Good call. Next week on the show, Zeke. We're staying with Netflix. We're watching Noah Bumbacks. Almost burped. White noise. There we go. They don't look scared in the Crown Victoria. Yeah, they're laughing. These guys aren't laughing. Where? In the country square. What does it matter what they're doing in other cars? I want to know how scared I should be. Life is good, Jack. As long as the children are here, we're safe. May the days be endless. 
Let the seasons drift. Do not advance the action according to a plan. A contemporary American family attempts to deal with the mundane conflicts of everyday life while grappling with the universal mysteries of love, death, and the possibility of happiness in an uncertain world. I picked a very vague write-up on purpose. Very vague. Because I, I, I kind of don't want to know too much about this film. Noel Bombach kind of just slipping a film in there. Like, oh, oh, here you go. Adam Driver, coming. Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Barbie is coming. Very excited for that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, this is our fourth annual Golden Chalk Top Awards. Mm. That we award a Golden Chalk Top winner. And a stale popcorn winner. Jake, I already know for a fact we have a stale popcorn oh, winner. That, that is definitely locked down. Um, uh, I don't think that's going to be a hard one to guess. So we'll have to discuss in the next week. Um, this, we, had, this, we had three awards. Wasn't there a third award? Or? I think I think we do an appreciation award appreciation for... Award. Not even an award. Just like we, we list, I think, four films each that released in 2022. So not films we necessarily did for the podcast. Just films in the last year that we... Really want to give a shout out. Was it four? Was it is three? four. Okay. Because you know what we did? I don't know if this makes any sense. We did third place, second place, first place, and then like, and then our like winner, I guess. Mm. It's because we have our three runner up awards and then the combined winner that we both agree on. I feel like we did third runner up, second runner up, first runner up, and then award. I feel like that's Yeah, yeah, that's right. what that's what we do. But I think we did that for the appreciation. Oh, makes thing sense. as well, which I guess it makes Okay, it's fourth, third, second, and There's first. <laughs> there we go. It's fixed. There's the structure. We promise. So it's fixed. We'll, you'll figure it out next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll cover those next week. So that's a big show. Yes. Um, always a big show. I really hope they don't like announce the Golden Globes next week or Oscar noms. Like we we'll just just leave it. Yeah. It's going to be a jam-packed show as is. So, leave us be. With the universe. season four finale coming up next week. Until then, <laughs> thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Noah Bombuck's White Noise.